So good to have you guys here today. It's a great day, a great Easter. We were talking in our, our tagging in the beginning that we serve such an awesome Savior. Uh, Jesus is so amazing. He actually lets his holiday, right? Easter is like Jesus' holiday. He shares it with chocolate and candy, which just makes it so much better. I can imagine that, you, and you can lighten up. It's okay. We're not going to get struck by lightning here. I was thinking about maybe the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, maybe like the angel Gabriel and Michael were sitting in heaven and they were having a conference uh, room meeting and Halloween had come out a couple years before and the devil had candy at his holiday. So Jesus is like, we need to do something here. I know what we're going to do. We're going to have an Easter bunny drop chocolate eggs and kids are going to love it. That's exactly how it went. I think that's in the first book of hesitations right there. Well, I just want to thank you so much for the courage it takes to come. I, I believe we got a lot of first-time people here today, and we just want you to feel so welcome, and thank you for being here today, and this is a great day. And uh, we're, we're starting this new series called The Comeback, and I want to tell you a story about a comeback I went through. I remember back in September, it was September 16th of 2006, and someone had the audacity to schedule their wedding during an Oregon Ducks football game. Why don't people schedule their weddings on Mondays? But, you know, if you scheduled your wedding on a Monday, then we'd all have an ex uh, like a nice excuse. I have to work. I can't make it. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, this person, it was a friend of mine, and I couldn't get out of it. And I was dating Bethany, my wife. She's now my wife. Uh, so obviously that worked out, hopefully. And uh, uh, we were dating at the time. And so we are going to this wedding, and it's during this Oregon Ducks football game. And I, I have like an idolatrous love for the Ducks. And so uh, unfortunately, I'm like, oh no, and I'm, I'm having withdrawals and problems, missing the Oregon Ducks game. And so I was listening to it on the radio, which is, yes, that, that's a thing. People do it sometimes. They still do it. Listen to games on the radio. And I remember that this wasn't just any Oregon Ducks game. This was Oregon, top 20, I think number 18 in the country at this time, playing the Oklahoma Sooners at Autzen Stadium. Anybody remember this game? And as we're listening to this game on the radio, the Ducks were in it. And then as we're getting close to the wedding, it was a little ways out of town. Uh, the Ducks start getting trounced. They start getting really beat up. And I'm like, it's over. There's no chance. And I start getting depressed. And I'm just grumpy and, you know, angry. And my, my wife got to see the, the down, other side of me in this moment. Uh, and I'm just bummed out. And we end up going out. And I'm like, turn it off. We turn off the radio. And I, I, it, people would have thought I was going to a funeral, but it was actually a wedding. And I trudge out and I sit there and I huff down like a four-year-old boy in, in the chair, you know, and I'm grumpy. And, and the wedding is taking a long time. It's not happening. It's not starting. And so we find out actually one of the bridesmaids went crazy and pulled all the flower petals out of the bride's flowers. This is a true story. Crazy. Anyways. Jealous much, right? I thought he loved me. Anyways. <clears throat> so the bride wanted her wedding to be perfect, you know, right? And that makes sense to all the brides, right? Oh, I want my wedding to be perfect with flowers and all these things. Guys are like, what's the, I don't care, you know, let's throw some jelly beans up there and we'll do it. We'll do this thing. But girls, you know, you want the wedding perfect. And so we're, they delayed the wedding. So we did what any sound-minded Pacific Northwesterners do in a time of crisis and delay. You go to coffee, right? That's what we do. So we decided we're going to go get some coffee while they're figuring out the flower situation, Flowergate 2006. So we jump in the car. We're going to head down and find some uh, coffee shop. And I'm from Southern Oregon. I'm from Medford. And uh, that's, we have Dutch Brothers down there. Dutch Brothers, there's not enough in Eugene. Does anybody agree with me? 
In Medford, you can like literally run into Dutch Brothers everywhere you go, no matter what. You can just put your hand out, boom, coffee, you know, and there it is. So we go look for a Dutch Brothers and, and Bethany says, she's so sweet, my wife. She says, why don't you turn the game back on? You can listen to it. Now you don't have to miss the end. And I'm like, no, it's over. The Ducks have lost. My life is over. There's nothing, nothing good can ever happen again, you know, because if they lose a football game, the world ends. She's like, no, I'll turn it back on and see. So I turn the radio on and all of a sudden I hear the voice of Jerry Allen, right? Voice of the Ducks. And he's excited and good things are happening. And the Ducks end up coming back. Li- I went and checked this out. They were down. I remember, how, I remember just thinking there's no chance. With a minute and 18 seconds left in the game, they were down 33 to 20. 33 to 20 against the Oklahoma Sooners, mind you. And there was absolutely no chance. But all of a sudden we, with a little help from the refs, just a little bit, just a few calls here and there, you know, uh, we get an onside kick. We score some touchdowns and the Ducks win 34-33. It was this amazing comeback. And I'll tell you what, the moral of the story is, what I learned that day was this. Don't ever go to a wedding when there's an Oregon Ducks game on. No. What I learned was that it's not over yet. It all depends on who has the ball in their hands when the game is on the line. And I want to tell you the story this morning of the greatest comeback ever. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus rises from the dead. Okay, like if you came, yeah, that's awesome. We can be excited about that. You probably knew coming to church on Easter, whether you've been to church before or you're checking it out for the first time, wherever you're at kind of in your spiritual journey, wherever you're at in your, your life, uh, you probably understood, okay, Easter's about the Easter bunny, yeah, but it's really, it's about Jesus and his resurrection, the cross and the resurrection, and you probably expected to hear this story, but I'm going to kind of tell it in a different way today and talk about this greatest comeback. And I want to focus in on a verse in the Bible. We're going to base our entire series that we're starting for the next six weeks. We're going to be doing this series called The Comeback, a verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, which says, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and God will raise, give life to your mortal bodies by that same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Did you know that when you make a decision to follow Jesus and trust him with your life, that you don't get God's second hands, you get the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit, in Greek, that word life, what it's saying there is the word zoe. It means an eternal kind of life. This resurrection life, resurrecting life comes on the inside. We sang that song today. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. That is the promise of Easter is that Jesus, under, he went through the greatest comeback ever, literally came back from death, kicked uh, the, the butt of death and kicked the grave's butt and did all that and had this great comeback victory. And through that, you and I can have life. You and I can have freedom. You and I can have purpose. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Sound good? Yeah. I remember when I was a kid many years ago, uh, I remember watching Joe Montana. Somebody laughed up there. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So I just got to get that one laugh from somebody in the middle. Somebody get that lady popcorn. All right. I remember when I was a kid watching Joe Montana and the 49ers, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Any Niners fans in here? And uh, it's awesome. The rest of you are going to get saved today. But, but um, <laughs> I remember watching Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and the game would be on the line like two minutes left and the 49ers needed a touchdown to win or tie. And, and watching Joe Montana was just a wizard of the comeback. It was just amazing. I, how many of you remember watching Michael Jordan 
uh, play basketball, right? I know I'm kind of dating myself here, but Michael Jordan was incredible. Like if the game was on the line, give that man the ball. He could have the Ebola virus and he'll still win the game. I remember watching, there was a series with the Trailblazers. That's my team, Portland Trailblazers. We're just like the heartbreak kids. You know, we never, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. We're like the bridesmaid picking the flower petals. The crazy people. Anyways, the Trailblazers were playing the Bulls in one of the series and just Michael Jordan just breaking our heart over and over. It's all about whose hands the ball is in when the game is on the line. More recently, if you watch the Super Bowl this year, uh, the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons, as you know, they were down like 28 to three, the Patriots were, and Tom Brady orchestrates this incredible comeback victory, right? It was unbelievable. How many of you watched that? I was rooting for, I wasn't rooting for the Patriots because I'm a Christian. Um, but I, I, I had to be, I was amazed at Tom Brady because this guy, he gets this look in his eye. There's this one moment, we kind of had it up in the video. He kind of slides down and it's 28 to three and he looks at the scoreboard and he just gets that look in his eye like, he's kind of cute in that crazy sort of way. This guy, he's a comeback hero. He just never believes it's over. And so it's all about whose hands the ball is in at the end of the game. And I want to tell you right now that our culture says, put your life in my hands, put your life in my hands, put it in Oprah's hands. She'll tell you the right way to live. You get a life, you get a life, you get freedom, you get purpose. No, put your life in Montel's hands, put your life in, in Dr. Phil's hands. You can tell I don't watch a lot of daytime TV. I'm not up to date on, on these people. Culture says, you know, read this blog and this blogger will tell you how to live. I'm just here to tell you right now, you aren't going to come back to life and freedom and purpose unless you put your life in the hands of Jesus. Amen. It's all about whose hands you put your life in when the game is on the line. You know, I'm going to tell you the story of Easter, the greatest comeback ever. But I want to set the stage a little bit and set, kind of set up what it was like. When Jesus was walking the planet physically, it was 2,000 years ago, and he lived in the nation of Israel and Judea. And at the time, this was just a podunk little country on the outside edge of the Roman Empire, which was the great political military power of the time. And if you were a Roman legionary, you weren't excited to get assigned to Israel. That was like a downgrade, right? Because this is, they were, re the, the Jewish people were, were unruly. They didn't want to be ruled. They didn't want to be oppressed. And they fought back all the time. It was hot. It was desert. It wasn't rich. It wasn't a nice place. And they wouldn't have wanted to be there. And so there was a harsh oppression. The Roman Empire had really put their, their, their thumb down on the Jewish people. And the Jewish people had gone through a lot of oppression for hundreds of years. And they had this prophetic uh, looking forward to in their culture, this idea that they uh, wanted a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. And they used this word Messiah. And that simply means anointed one. But they had this hope and expectation of a deliverer. And a lot of people assumed that this Messiah would be a political deliverer, that he would raise up armies or, you know, rally the people and bring everyone together and would overthrow the evil Roman Empire. And this is the stage that Jesus shows up in 2,000 years ago. He shows up in this moment and he begins to speak about a coming kingdom. And people hear that and they think, oh, he means he's going to kick the Romans out. But, but he doesn't raise up an army. He doesn't he doesn't, you know, recruit strong-armed men and, and, you know, crazy people to fight battles. He begins to, he goes and he, he loves kids and he treats women with respect and with kindness and he elevates their stature. He lets them be in his group and have a, have a high place. Jesus has this different kind of a demeanor. He's known as a friend of sinners and he speaks about God's kingdom. 
And later he's even asked and, and, and he says, look, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I'm not a political or military leader. I didn't come to do that. I, I could do that. I have the power to, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm, I'm talking about a different kind of a kingdom. And Jesus was captivating people with this new message. You know, he would go and he would be walking through an area and thousands of people, multitudes would come to, to Jesus because he would heal the sick. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine for a second that your mom or your dad has cancer and you hear there's this person and they're going to be, they're going to be in Springfield uh, on this certain day. And, and maybe, maybe just maybe your mom could be healed of cancer by going to this place. You would make the trek you go, right? You're not going to miss that, that chance. Multitudes would go to hear Jesus and his teaching was different. It says people were astounded at the way he talked. He didn't talk like a religious person. No, he was a friend of sinners. He had mercy in his eyes. His words carried hope and healing. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He set people free from bondage. He talked about this new kind of a kingdom where the weak wouldn't be trampled upon and oppressed, but people could live together in equality. I mean, Jesus was freaking awesome. Pardon my French. But Jesus was incredible. People began to put their hope, began to put their trust in Jesus and his followers they, they, they believed in him, believed he was the son of God. Now, fast forward, he had three years of ministry when he was 33 years old, the religious community, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Roman political power at the time, they, they conspired against Jesus. And even actually one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, betrayed Jesus into their hands and they put him on kind of a kangaroo court and this fake trial and accused him of things and he's sentenced to die. And you probably know a little bit of the story, but Jesus was crucified. He was put upon a cross and he died the most brutal death. He was brutally murdered on that, at that moment. You know, we have the word excruciating in the English language. That comes, the word crucifixion comes out of the same Latin root and excruciating pain means out of the cross, the kind of pain that someone would feel on a cross. What they would do is they would, would nail your, 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 your wrist through the bones here and your wrist to that cross and they'd nail this side and they would put your, your ankles together and put a spike through there. And, you know, you would actually hang there. It usually took people a few days to die on a cross because actually what happens is you just simply can't hold yourself up anymore and you suffocate. It's a horrible, horrible way to die. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. But I want you to think about, I want you to think about his followers and the people that had watched for three years him do all these amazing things and he'd promised so many things and he said, I have to go and die, but I'm going to be raised again. But they didn't even quite get it at this moment. And so right at this very moment on the cross, when Jesus dies and he breathes his last and it just goes completely dark, they were hopeless. And it was way beyond any stupid football game, way beyond any basketball game, way beyond anything. It was the darkest moment. And I'm sure that the laughter of hell kind of was echoing through the air is that even the devil thought I've, I've won, I've, I've killed the son of God. And, and these people would have been so hopeless, but that's not the end of the story because Jesus orchestrated the greatest comeback victory of all time. Let's look up on the screen. Luke chapter 24 says this, and I love this. I'll read it here. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse one, but... That look that Tom Brady gets in his eyes when he's down 28 to three is that, but something more, something is coming. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in 
but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. Say, he isn't here. He He is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. The story of Easter is that one man at one pivotal moment in history did what no one else ever could do, which was come back from the dead. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen. The hope that we as followers of Jesus have is not that if we follow a religious creed or just go to church on Sundays or don't cuss or whatever you think being a Christian is about, if I don't drink too much or lust too much or steal too much, if I'm basically a good person. No, it's none of that. Our hope is that by putting our faith in Jesus, that same spirit that raised him up from the dead can dwell in us and we can have that taste of resurrection life on the inside of us. And I'm here to tell you today that when you taste resurrection life, you'll never be the same. You know, maybe you're in a moment in your life where you're like, oh, it's over. My marriage is over. This child is is too addicted to drugs. You know, my kid and and it's over. This, This relationship is destroyed. My relationship with my neighbor is destroyed. Whatever it is in your life, or I'm too addicted to drugs, or I'm too addicted to pornography, or I don't know what what it is you're going through. But whenever you're in a moment where you, you might be saying it's over, I'm here to tell you that with Jesus, it's not over yet. There is always hope because whose hand is the ball in when the game is on the line? Whose hands are you going to trust your life with? I remember a moment in my life when Bethany and I first got married, I, I was talking to her about the series and I said, hey, hon, when's a moment when we kind of faced something like this? And I had some ideas and she said, well, actually the first month of our marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Off to a good start, right? And uh, I said, no, I, I know what you're talking about. I remembered when we first got married, we didn't know how to communicate. And that's because she was a, you know, a good communicator and I was me. Uh, right? Men, you know, you have to learn the, the magic words. I was wrong or I am wrong. I'm sorry. These are the good things to say. Men, just repeat it. Just say it and you'll have a happy, happy life, right? Happy wife, happy life. But, but I, we, had a, we had poor communication and we were just at each other. We loved each other. We had this beautiful wedding. We went on our honeymoon, went to the British Isles. It was amazing. But we were fighting and we weren't communicating right. And we were just kind of grading each other the wrong way. And both of us had the thought, even in this first month of marriage, made a mistake, made a mistake. We love each other, but this won't work. And Bethany said she really felt that. She was, had really felt like, well, I love Jake, but this isn't work. We can't communicate. Like we have to end this. We have to just like say we made a mistake and then figure something out. Maybe it'll happen later. Maybe we'll come back together. But, but it felt like it was over. And I remember we, we came back from our honeymoon and we were home for about two or three weeks. And then we ended up taking our internship program that we were uh, leading at the time over on a missions trip to Ireland. And looking back, I realized probably what happened is jet lag was half the problem. <laughs> we're so tired and don't know what time it is. You know, it's three in the morning in your brain, but it's two in the afternoon in, in the real world. But we ended up going over to Ireland and we're still just having a hard time communicating. And all of a sudden, these people came down from Belfast, from a church up there. And they came down and they took Bethany aside and they gave her a word. And they said, can we say something to you? And she said, sure. The Lord wants to, to tell you that you, you think you've made a mistake, but you haven't made a mistake. That things are going to get better. Stick with it. You know, 
God's going to do something. And they actually, I remember getting these words from these people about us being a big gear and a small gear and how if those things are off, like the gears smash into each other and, you know, all these kind of things. And we realized that Bethany and I are so different and there's so much beauty in our differences when we're working together, but there's so much hurt and pain in our differences when we're working apart. And hello, that's called marriage, right? You know, guys, how many of you understand how your wife thinks? Put your hands down. You're a liar. <laughs> and ladies, you do know how men think, right? Yep. Key to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's all you need to know. And, uh, but marriage, you know, that's, that's what it is. And so we're grading, but God spoke in a moment of darkness, in a moment of vulnerability, in a place when we we're thinking, you know, it's, it's over for us. It's, it's not going to, this marriage isn't going to work. And Jesus showed up. God had compassion upon it. these two young kids trying to figure marriage out. And he spoke in and resurrection life came into our marriage in that moment. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how bad it is. It's about how good Jesus is at resurrection. Come on. It's about how amazing he is. When you invite him into your life, he can help you make a comeback because that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you as a follower of Jesus. This morning, I want to tell you three things that with Jesus, we can make a comeback to, and then I'll let you out and you can go beat the Baptist to burger doodle and get whatever food you want to get today. Um, just kidding. You know, the Baptists are going to be in church for like two hours, so we're going to beat them to the best restaurants. Amen? That's, what, that's why we do our church service like this, so we can just beat all the other. That's what we're about as Christians is beating all the other Christians to the best restaurants. I want to give you three things today. That's four. I want to give you three. I'm a pastor. I'm not a mathematician. Don't judge. Three things that with Jesus, you can make a comeback to. Number one, with Jesus, you can come back to life. You know, millions and billions of dollars are spent every year trying to cure cancer. Millions and billions of dollars a year are put into research to help people cope with diseases and and figure out certain illnesses. And I feel like that's all wasted because the real problem is that we're all dying of death, right? Like maybe we cure cancer, but you're still gonna die. Maybe God heals you miraculously, but you will still die. The real problem, the root, you're like, bummer, man. Yeah, sorry. The real problem at the root of all problems is that death has come into our existence. And not just death, of our physical bodies. And as you get older, you realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually dying, right? I'm in my 30s now. And my knees sometimes decide they don't want to work. And I'm like, when did that happen? Right? I used to be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. No, that's not even true. Uh, but, but now I wake up and I'm like, well, my knee doesn't work today, you know? And what's happening? I'm dying of death. From the moment, you know, my beautiful babies, my three kids, when they were born, the thought occurred to me and it's kind of morbid, but man, they, they are actually on this pathway that someday they will die. My daughter's five and she's like really interested in the idea of death. Well, mom, are you going to die? Well, yes, honey, but not for a long time. You know, fingers crossed, you know, dad, are you going to die? Yes, honey, but not for a long time. And you don't need to worry. You know, we know Jesus and, you know, and we're trying to help her, but, but she's aware that death is a problem, right? And the scriptures tell us in Romans, in, uh, in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death. And so any sin, any missing of the mark, any time when we've, we've broken that relationship with God, death comes in, it doesn't stop at our physical bodies, it invades our relationships, it invades, invades our emotions, it invades our work and our art and our play, it invades every aspect of our life. We're dying of death. That's the problem at the root of humanity, is death. 
But listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 10, verse 10, his disciples recounted him saying this. He said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and life more abundantly. In other words, not just life, but, but a crazy amount of life. Life times two. When you look at this in the original language, he's basically saying that they may have life, life. It's like life X2, right? Like beyond multiplied kind of life. You know, a lot of people don't know what this kind of life is like, but that's the kind of life that Jesus has for you. I'm here to tell you right now, maybe things are dark. Maybe things are bad. Maybe you don't have hope. Maybe you don't have freedom. Maybe you don't have purpose. But with Jesus, he wants to come in and give you a new heart. He wants to come in and give you a brand new start. He wants to come in and replace what's broken on the inside with something that works, right? You're dying of death, but when you receive Jesus, resurrection life invades the core of who you are. And now you have a new, there's new guts on the inside. There's a new root motivation. Life is at work. And when resurrection life gets on the inside of you, it changes every aspect of your entire life. Maybe you're having a marriage problem. That's a symptom of a heart problem. Maybe you're having a drug problem. That's a symptom of a heart problem. There's death, it has invaded you. And so you are, you're living out that kind of death in a small way or large way in whatever symptom is emerging, but you can't just pick fruit. You have to get a different root. And that's what Jesus comes to do. The gospel is not about making bad men good. It's about making dead men alive. See, maybe you've been struggling with bad habits and bad addictions and all these kinds of things. And so you've been trying harder. That's not the answer. I'm preaching next week's message. The answer is not to try harder. The answer is to give your life to the one that can transform you from the inside out. You, know, you, you spend all your time picking fruit. You've got to change the root. And so with Jesus, you can make a comeback to life. The second thing that Jesus can help us make a comeback to is freedom. Freedom. How many of you like the movie Braveheart? Right? When they scream, freedom! At the end, you know? It's just awesome. You were born for Freedom. And yet what most people look at as freedom is really anarchy. It's really anarchy. And, and anarchy is freedom outside of any restraint whatsoever. And there's this huge misconception. There's this huge misconception about Christianity. I get this a lot, you know, talking to people out in public. And the very worst thing that can happen for me is if somebody says, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. Because when you tell somebody you're a pastor, they immediately start speaking in King James English. You know, oh, Yes, well, I've been thinking about going to church someday. You're like, you were just swearing up a storm. Like, <laughs> I'm a real person, you know. I'm, yes, I'm a pastor, but that's what I do. I'm still a person like you. But no, people, you can't tell people you're a pastor. And uh, they just start acting weird. <clears throat> but people have this misconception about Jesus and about Christianity. They think it means that, well, if I become a Christian, that means I have to basically stop doing all the things that are fun. And I have to start playing by all the rules and keeping all the rules. And I can't. You know, I can't really, I'm never going to have any more enjoyment because all the fun stuff is off limits as a Christian. And it's a huge misconception. And let me frame it this way. Imagine you had a conversation with a fish and you're talking to your fish, which is fine to do, right? From, you know, if you get a little goldfish and the fish looks up at you and it says, first, don't eat me. But no, the second thing it says, the fish says, well, I want to fly around in the air like a bird. And if you say, well, no, you're a fish, like that's not what you're made to do. And it says, you're, you're, I'm not free. Well, no, no, you're, you're free within what you were made to be. You are a fish. You breathe underwater. That's a superpower, <laughs> right? 
Now imagine you were talking to a bird and the bird said, well, I wish I could swim underwater and breathe. You can fly through the sky. You have wings. Well, I'm not free. You're, that's not, no, no, no. That's, you're mistaking freedom and form and function. There's freedom within who you were made to be. Imagine that you go to a gas station and you have this beautiful Mercedes-Benz AMG black diesel engine, just like the sickest ride, you know, this German engineered car, but it's made to run on diesel. And you go to the gas station and they're like, you're like, put some gasoline in this thing. And they're like, hey, wait, no, no, no. You're like, you need diesel. We don't do diesel here. You, you know, we can't put gas. You're like, put some gas in my car. I'm not free. I'm free. You can put gas in this car. That will ruin your vehicle. That's exactly what we do to God when we say the things that you've told me that I can do and live in and operate in, when you tell me I can't do those things, that means that I'm not free. Actually, what God is saying is you were not made for that. I am your original designer. I am your original creator. That even what we look at as the rules, so to speak, of Christianity, that those things actually are not there to make you less free. They're actually there to help you have freedom within your form. When you break those things, you're like a fish out of water. Now, here's the thing. Because we're broken in sin, we actually long for things that we shouldn't want. We, we, we want to get, we want to abuse wine, which is a creation of God, and get drunk. We want to abuse sex, which is a creation of God, and have sex with just anyone that we might desire. That's what animals do. That's not what men and women created in the image of God that sons and daughters are supposed to do. So what's the answer? To just try really hard? No, you need a new heart. What has to happen is that when you encounter Jesus, resurrection life stirs on the inside and now there's a new power, a new work that's going on on the inside of you. And so you start to hunger for and thirst for the things you were made for, not the things you were not made for. And so that's a big misconception and people think, well, if I meet Jesus, I won't be free. Actually, you'll be more free because you will begin to discover who you were made to be, what you were made for. You will begin to find pleasure and, and fulfillment in the things that God created you to enjoy. Come on, somebody. And Jesus wants to give us this kind of freedom. Jesus wants to, to release us from, from the bondage of breaking our design breaking our form. He wants to set us free and he wants to give us a new heart. So even at the root level, those desires change and we begin to love what God loves, hate what he hates, changes you completely. The third thing that we can make a comeback to with Jesus is we can make a comeback to purpose. Come back to purpose. It's painful to me when I speak with people in the world and I, and it, and it, I realize it dawns on me, this person doesn't know who they are or what they're doing here. This person that I'm speaking to, they don't know who they are, what they were made for, what they're doing here. It's painful to me because when you encounter the purpose of God, Monday morning is awesome. Because you wake up and you go, I know what I was made for. I'm flying like a bird because this is what I was made to do. Jesus wants to infuse you with fresh purpose where you begin to encounter, this is who I am. I'm a son, I'm a daughter or a daughter of God. This is who I was made to be. God shaped me this way. He formed me with his hands. Come on, somebody. This is what I was made to do. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. Created anew, woken up to fresh purpose to do the good things that God planned for us long ago. I'm here to tell you that when you begin to get into the purposes of God for your life, when you encounter Jesus and you all of a sudden have fresh life and fresh purpose working on the inside of you, you might get tired in life. You might get uh, discouraged, but you will not get bored. That's right. 
Because there will always be something that God is doing inside of you. You know, yesterday, I'll tell you a little story about purpose. Yesterday, as a church, we did this helicopter Easter egg hunt. How many of you were there? You know, we, we, we dropped 10,000 Easter eggs from a helicopter, which was awesome. I woke up this morning and I, the first thought that crossed my mind was, did we really drop 10,000 eggs out of a helicopter? Did that happen? Yes, it did happen. It's on Facebook. You can go watch it and see it. And it was an amazing time. I mean, I, I was out on the field and I got to watch 850 rabid children, you know, run at me. It felt like a war movie. Ah! You know, I was just scared there at that, that moment. You're like, well, they're just little kids. Yeah, when there's 20 of them on top of you, it's a big person altogether. And, and, but it was amazing just to see the joy and fulfillment. And honestly, being even in that moment is only because I'm engaged in the purpose of God, saying, God, taking steps of faith, leading and guiding and bringing me through different things and, and getting to enjoy these amazing moments and living by faith and so on and so forth. It's because Jesus is alive working on the inside of me. I want you to know what it feels like. I want you to know what it tastes like, what it, what it looks like to encounter your purpose when, when you are in the will of the Lord and you are where God wants you to be and you know who you are and you have freedom in you and new life working inside of you and all of a sudden you're using your God-given abilities to make a difference. Did you know that the seeds of change, the transformation for our beautiful city is sitting in these theater seats right now? And you might say, well, Jake, I... No, I'm, I'm addicted to drugs. You are right now, but it's not over yet. Because with Jesus, there's a comeback. A comeback to life, a comeback. Well, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too shy. I, I could never talk to people. I'm an introvert. And I, I'm here. You see, when Jesus starts working in your life, it doesn't matter what your limitations are. It's about what he can do. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. With Jesus, you can make a comeback to life, to freedom, to purpose. And the, the seeds of change, the potential for an amazing coming of God's kingdom to earth in our community is sitting in these seats right now. That if five or 10 or 15 or 20 of you, of us would grab hold of this message and say, you know what? Maybe it seems like it's over, but I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus today and believe that in his resurrection life, that could affect me and I could actually come alive. Do you believe, even just a tiny glimmer today, can you see it? That with Jesus on the inside of you, maybe you don't even understand it. It's just like, well, I don't get it, but I like it. That's all right. Gravity works even if you don't understand. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm not gonna fall off this building. I don't understand how gravity works. That, no, it still works, even if you don't get it. The gospel still has power to save you, even if you don't totally understand the ramifications. It's a beautiful message that God saved sinners, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, that we could have everlasting life. That that same spirit, that resurrection life that raised Jesus from the dead could dwell on the inside of you and me. And, could, and, and then out of that outflowing, God could do amazing things through your life. Do you believe even a little bit today? The same spirit. This morning, as always at church, there are people that come here and I don't believe it's by accident. Maybe you got a mailer, maybe you saw a TV ad or went to the Easter egg hunt. I don't know how, how you came to be here, but I know it wasn't an accident that God drew you to this moment so you could hear this message because Jesus has something for you right in this moment. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm not really, I'm not, I can't receive what, what Jesus has for me. I'm too bad of a person. You know, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. Why did sinners like being with Jesus? It's because he reminded them more 
more about their future potential than their past failure. Yeah. just want to tell you right now, this church is not for Christians. It's for people that are, are jumping in. Jesus said, I came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And that's me here today. Sometimes when we encounter religion, it's kind of an ugly thing because it, it seems like there's a category of good people and bad people. I'm here to tell you that's wrong. There's two categories, yes, good God, bad people. I don't stand here before you, before, I don't stand here before you today telling you I've got all the answers or I'm perfect, do what I know. I'm saying, look, I'm a person that believes that the resurrection life of Jesus has come into my life, in my heart, and I'm just following God and his plan for my life. And Jesus wants to do the same for you. Amen. Jesus wants to do the same for you. And there's nothing you need to do. There's no magic words. There's no ritual that you need to go through. There's no dance. There's no steps. You can't light a candle to get what Jesus has for you. You know what you can do? You can trust. Inside your heart, you can believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he gave his life for you, and that by believing in him, you can have everlasting life. By believing that God raised him from the dead. And the scriptures tell us this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not some people, not good people, everybody, everyone, anyone, anyone who wants to come to Jesus. The door is wide open. I don't care. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care where you've been in your life. I don't care. God wants to change you now, right now. Come on. Come back to life. Come back to freedom. Come back to purpose. Jesus wants to do that for you today.